more kids. Ready? So, let's get to it. Glad you guys are here. Let's party. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to do it with you guys. It's going to be great. Hello, this is John Mark Selig, and this is Get the Goat Podcast. This is actually like a little remix. We're redoing our podcast. We've been gone for from doing podcasts for close to a year now. We took six months off. We did a podcast, and we haven't even posted it for six months because of this thing called COVID. And what's wild is we recorded this podcast with Jerry Nichols, which is what we call, he is a goatriarch of our gym, one of our favorite people, uh, one of my favorite people I've ever met in the world, but also one of my favorite people in the gym. He has been one of those people that's kind of been the backbone of our gym from the start. But we actually recorded this, I want to say about five days to a week before everything shut down. You will listen to my voice and I've got yeah, just a little bit of raspiness. I cough multiple times. Thank God uh, Robbie edited that stuff out. But pretty sure, probably 99% sure I had COVID about the time I was recording that. But um, so it took us a long time to actually even get this out. But I think this is a perfect podcast for us to kind of kick this one back and uh, get this thing all rolling again. You'll notice in the podcast, it's, it's the beautiful thing of when we interview these different people that are part of our gym, we're trying to get it to where we get to see the lives of those people that come to our gym. Uh, we get to get a little taste of their lives and what the gym means to them and then what kind of influence they have in the valley. And sometimes you're working out next to somebody and you never even know really what their background is. The first part of it's going to be Jerry you know, talking about how he even ended up in the Valley to, you know, how he stuck around the Valley, different businesses he's owned. And then we're going to get into what the gym has kind of meant to him and his wife and his family. Um, and what's pretty fantastic during the lockdown, I trained his entire family almost every single day on Zoom. And they kind of were a big part of my lockdown experience. So take a listen. Thanks for watching, listening, listening and watching. I've been holding out for this one for a while because um, Jerry Nichols is with us tonight. Um, I've got Robbie Prechtel again. Hey, Bob. And Jerry Nichols. Um, yeah, Jerry's been a good friend of ours. A good, I would actually call him, we like to use the word, the Goatriarch. Um, he has been a part of the gym from its inception and, uh, I, I've, I've loved he and Michelle for years also, but one, because they've supported us for years and Jerry, I've, I've haven't told you this probably as much in person as I should, but, um, thank you for trusting what we do, what we have been from the beginning. And, uh, there's nobody better to have a part of the podcast of goat. And so it's been, it's, it's long overdue one long overdue because we haven't done a podcast in six months. Yeah. And two, you've never interviewed Jerry in all of this. time. I know, which is just stupid. Uh, that makes me feel so nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm going to just get to it and I, and, and really just kind of get into Jerry's life. Even as we all know, living in the Valley, um, is not an easy place to live. And I just want to know, tell us how you even ended up here. Um, Michelle and I 
uh, met in college. We went to hotel school at UNLV, and uh, we were both offered jobs um, out of college. One was in Boston, one was in Vegas, and we looked at each other, and we started dating in college, and truly our first date was at Mammoth Mountain. And uh, we, we, we knew we had something going when um, first run we did was Huevos Grandes off of the gondola. And uh, I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen, but I went first and skied halfway down. I turned around and she was right there. So that kind of where that, it all started. That's how you know true love so right there. Right after college. She can you stick know, with me on the mountain. Um, was it, good. Our parents weren't too happy when we turned down the jobs after college. We said we want to go to Colorado because we knew skiing was going to be a big part of our lives. It was, it was for Michelle growing up. It was for me growing up. And um, what better place than Colorado? See, I think this is, I think this is going to be the most fun part for me because I know you pretty well. I mean, I've known you for, gosh, I think almost eight years now, which is wild to think about. But there's so many details to Jerry's life that no one knows because the best part about Michelle and Jerry is they are like so easy to hang out, hang out with. You come to the gym and they're the people that are going to talk to you. Doesn't matter who you are. If you're 20, you're 60, they're just going to hang out and just show you the ropes. And so uh, let's keep going. This is great. All right. So... Um, we started in Denver and, uh, we were the weekend warriors, the tunnel trash as my kids call them, um, you know, zip up early Saturday morning, ski all day, zip home, zip up Sunday mornings, you know, go back and hit the, hit work Monday through Friday. And we were both in the hotel business and, um, one of us got a job offer from the Westin in Vail and we went, oh my gosh, can you imagine if we got to live in Vail? So we dropped everything. Michelle had just started her business. She had a business of 33 years before she sold it last year. And uh, we had an opportunity to, get, to move up here with the Weston. And those were the days of relocation packages. And they helped us move. The movers came. They helped us close what on our new year house. What was this? Yeah, 1989. 1989 or 80, 88. Anyway, but yeah, those, those were the days. And uh, it was a very, yeah, I don't know, it would have been really difficult to move to this valley, you know, um, you know, just because of the expense. And we started, we looked up. Was uh, Edwards even a thing then? Well, so just started. we said, well, we're going to move to Vail. Let's go look at real estate in Vail. Well, that didn't last too long. All of a sudden, well, we found Edwards and then we found Singletree and Singletree was really new. And it was surprisingly affordable then. It wasn't much more expensive to buy a house in Singletree here in Edwards than it was where we were living in Congress Park in Denver. But it, it seemed like a really far, you know, drive from Vail. It was 15 minutes. 15 you know, we, minutes we, is a long time. Yeah, right, Especially right. when it's a tiny little town like Vail. Yeah. But in hindsight, now, you know, it, it worked out pretty good for us because this seems to be, you know, having a family. The high school's down here. This is the epicenter of, you know, all the activities that the, you know, we'd run the kids around with. And it was, uh, worked out to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, so then you're working at the Weston. Correct. And then, uh, and Michelle had, had, um, Michelle had started her business in Denver. And By the way, this is not the Weston in, at Riverfront. No, this is this the, is well, the, this is the Weston that became the Cascade, that became Talicia, that became, that is now the Hyatt. Yeah, 
Yeah. I didn't know that it was ever a Weston. Yeah. Well, it opened as a Weston in 1984. It was the Weston for a long time. That was, uh, but, um, Michelle had started her business and she moved, um, she had a partner and she moved up here. And so they split the, you know, the duty, so to speak of her business. And it was actually a, quite a hardship on her business because her business had only been in operation for maybe four or five years. And her partner wasn't too keen on her living in Vail and he was in Denver so long of the short of it is, it ended up being the demise of the partnership, which ended up being a huge blessing in disguise for Michelle, because then she owned the business outright and was able to do with it, do with it what she, do with it what she wanted to, and and she did. She grew it without having a partner, so it was 100% hers from here on out, and she ran it for 33 years. Um, so then I was at the Westin. And Weston lost the, lost the hotel to the Cascade. And then the cast, so the Weston said to me, well, we've got a couple of options for you. One is Los Angeles at the Century Plaza. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think so. The other one was the Weston La Paloma in Tucson, Arizona. And the other one was um, the Weston in Hilton Head. All great properties, great places. At least I was, you know, wasn't completely out of a job. But I looked at my wife and I'm like, this is not what we had in mind. We're not leaving here. It's too special of a place. So the people who took over the hotel actually offered me a job. And they offered it in transition. They needed somebody. And I was the director of marketing. So I was the the um, connection to all the clients, all the, the group business that was on the books that they had to service that they essentially bought from Weston. So they liked having me there. But we both knew that it was kind of a temporary thing. You know, my... When you moved to the Valley, did you think you'd be living here as long as you have? No. What do you all. think? Like, oh, we'll uh, just a couple do this years. For about We're a couple in the hotel business. Like, the, you know, the only way to, to move up is to move out. You, you had to move to a bigger property to get more responsibility, etc. Had no idea would would do that. But um, this may blow your mind a little bit. So, while I was with Weston at the very tail end of Weston Corporate owning that hotel, uh, they, they they put together a task force to, uh, they brought together five or six marketing directors. I represented a resort. They had a, a city hotel, a suburban hotel, and maybe a desert property. We all, they flew us into Seattle where their headquarters was. And our job was to begin developing a strategy for this new thing that was coming on called the World Wide Web. <laughs> the, the internet. The interwebs. The no, we internet. call it. <laughs> and, and everyone's eyes were, you know, our eyes were bugging out of our head learning about this. I mean, it's... it's yeah, it's the future. Nobody had heard of it, you know. <laughs> oh, do we get a... How, how do we get a web page? You know, it's like they, it, they... It was just looking back on it, it was crazy. So I'm thinking the whole time, this is my ticket to staying in Vail because nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about the web. And I came back 
And, and this was still with Weston. I was still with Weston, but um, actually, if we had now transitioned, couple, like maybe six months later, and so now I'm working for the Cascade. They kept the Weston flag, but they only had it for like a year. Then they trans, even though it was the Cascade people running it, they kept the the logo and the and, and the flag at the hotel as Weston, and that was going to run out of, in a year. And they just that was part of the transition. Then there was this article in the newspaper, in the Vail Daily, about this guy um, named John Uly, who had moved to Vail, and he was telecommuting from uh, for his job, which was, um, you know, he was in the IT department at, at Caltech. So he knew all about the internet. Well, he brought over from U.S. West back then. That's who ran our phone lines and everything was U.S. West. Um a 56K line. So 56K, if you can imagine, it costs about $10,000 a month for him to have that. So in, in order for him to pay for that, and you know, he needed to share it with other people of the Valley. And he and I connected. He was the technical guy and I was the marketing guy who had all the connections. We met and said, let's do this. And we started... The internet. So we literally brought we started the, the internet in the valley. In the valley. <laughs> yeah. So Valnet, Val.net was the main domain that we oh, had. That's right. We we built a portal. We had a dial-up service. So a lot of you guys our actually clients have your, were like a lot of people at our gym actually have Vail.net as, still, their, as their email. As their email. As their email. That's like, how we that's what we, we started that. So we um our clients were Vail Resorts. To, uh, we had everybody in town from the Vail Daily, the Vail Resorts, uh, the Vail Board of Realtors. Uh, we identified the, the, all the um, Chamber of Commerce uh, at the time. We, we identified those key marketing players of Vail and we secured them and we gave them sweetheart deals. And then we went out to the community and we sold it. And, and to sell it, we... You know, nobody really knew about it. They kind of heard about it. So we would do free seminars at the library in Vail. So Saturday, and I remember going, I remember one Saturday morning, we're doing from 10 to 12 Saturday morning. I remember one Saturday morning, I'm walking from the parking structure to the library in the in Vail, and I'm like, it's a beautiful day. It's a bluebird day. It's probably some fresh snow, and all I'm thinking is, what am I doing? <laughs> I need to be skiing? skiing. Nobody's going to come hear me talk about the internet. And lo and behold, it was packed. You know, just every, every, every session we did was packed, but that's how we grew it. And long story short, we ran that business for, you know, 15 years. That's wild. Like, we sold that. And in reality, like, like I feel like the Vail Valley is always... I always say they're about five to 10 years behind on most things that are like culturally catching on in LA or New York. Right. I feel like the Valley, but, but with this, it wasn't, it wasn't the deal. Yeah. And, and I think the reason for that is from the beginning, the, you know, travel in general, you know, was a match made in heaven for the internet. I mean, you think how archaic it was to book any kind of a trip, walking into a travel agent, buying those tickets to the airlines, and you couldn't control anything. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't see your options. It's like, how do you figure out what hotel to stay at? So the internet was uh, you know, was one of those industries that 
um, that benefited tremendously from the internet from day one. So we were lucky in that sense. So then you guys, now at this point, you're like, oh, we can actually stay here. Yes. Like this is, that was this a, is going That was well. a point. And we had just had our first child. So we're like, okay, this is, we're doing this. And then at that point, you're like, but I still want to ski a lot. How did you figure out at that point? How much were you skiing per season? Before we had How kids, days we year? were skiing a lot. And we would ski through work. You know, we would take clients skiing. We entertained a lot. Um, we would come up. We would ski quite a bit. You know, maybe not 100 days a year, but we'd get 30 to 50 days in a year for working. Right. You know, stiff. That was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, running a business and then having a family, that that obviously changed everything. That slowed, that slowed everything down. You know, we had three kids in what, five years, three kids, five, years three apart. boys, three by boys. The way, yeah. Five, which we'll five get six to. years apart. So that definitely slowed things down a little and we might've gone in shifts, but, uh, you know, it wasn't, yeah, cause we're both working. So we weren't going to abandon the kids on the weekend so we could get our skiing in. So definitely took a, a, a backseat. Yeah. Definitely. So how old are you when you had your first kid? Okay, so I was in my, well, like 33, 34-ish. Yeah. 61. 61. 61. I never, I never knew that. <laughs> Sneaky like that. Sneaky, makes, He makes all the 20-year-olds just quiver. <laughs> yeah. Go. That's just because I have my all my hair. So. <laughs> yeah. You have to get a picture of it. Yeah. Um, okay, so... You're 33, so tough in the first five, five, yeah, six years. Yeah, of you're in the, the weeds. You yeah, know this. Yeah, yeah. You, oh, you yeah know, you're in the sure. weeds. You're. Uh, it's a day to day running a business, trying to get in, and and that's what I was thinking. You know, I I, I kind of you know would kick myself. You know, why didn't I take better care of myself? Between it's like oh, we we were hanging on. You know, there's not a lot of. You know, and it, 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 I didn't want to, I don't want to say, it almost feels like a cop-out because if it's something that's important to you, you'll figure out a way to do it. Well, the truth of the matter is it wasn't as important to us to take care of ourselves as it was to take care of them. You know, that was our first priority. It was, you know, the kids and the job, you know, because working for yourself, you can't just sit back. You gotta, it's, it, it's the payroll's on your mind. Next week's always on your mind. You know, the forecast, you know, how's cash flow. I mean, it's constant. So, I mean, there's so many entrepreneurs in the, in the Valley here. Everyone who's an entrepreneur is going to understand exactly what I'm saying. It's, yeah. it's, it can be a grind. So, but then you developed way beyond. When did you start doing the RTP stuff? Okay. So, um, uh, so we sold Veilnet and internet works, the web development. We sold it all to Vail resorts, um, like 2000, right at, right before the dot com bomb hit, like the month before, you know, I don't know. No, I want to say, how'd you plan that? You, you don't plan it. It just the luck of the draw. It just happened. But, um, we sold it to Vail. And that's at the time when Adam Aarons was running Vail. And one of his strategies, which was solid, and they still do a lot of that right now, is to, diver is to diversify. 
you know, Vale prior to, you know, at one point was in the ski business only. That's all they did was skiing. And then they started branching off and, you know, to be a little less dependent on weather, you know, so that means getting into hotels, getting, getting into non-snow related and technology was one of them. And, you know, from the ticket scanning software, you know, the automation, all that, you know, um, you know buying our company helped them. So they took the ticket scanning software, which was a department that they had. They took the web development. They took the technology from John Euler's group, rolled it all up into one big tech company, and we had the total package. So then we could go out to Jackson Hole, Crested Butte, uh, Revelstoke, Stevens Pass, um, uh, Kicking Horse, all these ski areas, and say, we've got ticket scanning software package for you we've got a web development team we can you know we've got designers we can it's the total package for you and it was very successful so yeah good game plan it worked it worked (laughs) very smart well that wasn't me i was just part of it i was now at this point i'm like okay sold my business okay now i'm gonna work for these guys and it was fun because it wasn't working for it wasn't and i missed i missed that part what was this so, secondary company it's that, called resort technology partners rtp, RTP. Okay. which i i think i mean obviously for me from what i understand jerry and you can explain but you took scanning to a whole nother level and i think that's probably the number one thing that from a client and customer standpoint probably changed the game in a massive way, right? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. ski resorts were, were were quick to pick up on this. Yeah, so it, so explain power to them. The explain to the, yeah. So it used to be all just tag tickets. Yeah. Tag tickets. And you and you, and you hey, have and you have a punch. punch in it. Yeah, you got a punch in it. <laughs> that means you went up. You know, and now so the idea that you could track skiers and 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 automate this whole system and, and, and not just the tracking, but the labor savings and the advanced data analysis that you can pull out of it. And we'll look at it today, you know, we're, and we'll look at it another 10 or 20 years and we'll be like, well, we thought that was great. Now look at this. Biometric scanning. Right. Exactly. Let me it see your smells you. <laughs> it's wild. Okay. So then your kids. So in the 2000s, your kids are in school now. You're taking them. You're taking them skiing. Like, were you like, yeah, the early when they're days, growing up. Were you th- when they were growing up? Were you thinking like, I want these kids to experience this valley and all the things that I love about it? Like, how did you? Like, what was your? I, thought I don't, I don't process? think we thought about that. I think it just happened. I think it just morphed. It's this is what we do, and we kind of dragged them along with us. In the early days, we lived at Arrowhead. It was fantastic. You know, we could drive up there, park. <laughs> Can't do that today. You unless, unless you're after 10 o'clock. Yeah, right. Until 6 p.m. <laughs> right there at the Broken Arrow Cafe, hang out. And, you know, so we would take turns because at that point, I don't think, you know, Kevin was one and a half. Jack was two and a half. Christian was four. He, so... Three of us could ski at a time, and then two of us had one of us. You know, one of the mom or dad had to stay down with the younger one, and we just start lapping. And then as the years went on, you know, then we could sit down there, and they're doing the laps, and then would would let Christian go over to Beaver Creek. Did they? Did they do like Bevo, Devo, and then and they all did? Kind of yep. Yeah, then they did Bevo. They did Bevo, and. Uh, 
Chris, the oldest one, Christian, was very fortunate to have a great instructor who was um, probably, you know, one of the rogue instructors. He would take him to Vail more often than he skied the beef with them, even though it was Bevo. He'd say, hey, listen, we're going to go to Vail because these guys are, I want to show them some stuff in Vail. And he was just, he was a great young guy that was hip and made skiing fun. So um, that was great. It's funny. Then the second one, Jack put him in Bevo and he hated it. It's like, I, you don't want to go again. How come? They make me ski in a line. <laughs> I don't want to ski in a line. He's hence, an entrepreneur. Hence what he so, does Oh, now, my Lord. What are we going to do with you? So, you know, we worked with Cindy Crawford over who ran Bevo, and she helped us get someone that could corral him up a little bit, and then his brother joined him. But, uh yeah, and then as they started to progress, when when did they really like it, or were there was there were there times where they're like, I don't want to ski today. There was we never had that. That we had, I don't want to go home. You know, and you know, people look at us as we're probably oh, look at those pushy parents making their kids ski. It wasn't like that at all. There was a time when we were riding a chairlift at Arrowhead, and one of them fell asleep. <laughs> on the chairlift <laughs> i remember we weren't alone there was someone else there and i kept thinking oh they're judging me yeah yeah they're like what is awesome. look at this uh, dad. when did you start to realize uh-oh i've got to start skiing a lot harder now i can't like these kids are starting to get really good yeah so well probably in my late 40s so my late 40s, um, obviously there comes a time when they pass you, right? And now I'm trying to keep up with them. So they're them. 12 and 14? Yeah. And, and I'm working hard to keep up with them. And, and that's when, that's about when Michelle looked at me and gave me the ever so subtle hint as, honey, you're fat. <laughs> <laughs> and I signed you up for this 40-day program at... At, at, at dogma and, and they had this thing in november i'm like i am not you know and of course what happens is i can uh, ski 30 uh, days a year yeah, i'm for, not fat for 20 <laughs> for 20 years it was like probably a half a pound a year it just kept going i never really thought of myself as out of shape and overweight and lo and behold when had all my measurements done you know did the whole body fat thing and it came out, I was, I was shocked. I'll never forget this. I said, well, you're obese. You're classified as obese. And I'm like, no way. I, I really didn't believe it. So I took it to heart. I really did. I was like, oh my God, I gotta. Because at this time, you know, I'm, I'm coaching lacrosse. You know, I don't want to be the, the old fat guy on the sidelines. You know, I'm chasing my kids skiing. Uh, there's a lot more I want to do. And so I did. It was a, it was a big wake-up call um, for me. And uh, lo and behold, I went through that 40-day challenge, and I think I lost 20 pounds in 40 days, and now the key was to keep it off. And, you know, I, 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 I'll give uh, Dogma credit for getting me there. But they didn't have the classes to keep me there. It's like I was, I was struggling with, you know, they do yoga. There's only so much yoga you can do. 
Um, but they don't have the, they didn't, they just didn't have the classes. They had a lot of personal training. They had a lot of training on your own. They had the compu, the, the compu bikes in, in there. I did that for a bit. But then we found, someone said, you got to check out this thing called Manic. And I went to my first Manic class and I didn't barf at my first one. I think I did barf at my second one. <laughs> but I thought, this is the kind of class I'm looking for. So I want to say you and John Hardy came in pretty close the same time. Yeah, we did. Um, or you dragged John Hardy in with you. I can't remember exactly what he, it was. We coached together. You had, yeah, you had coached together. And, and you had actually lost some weight before mm-hmm. you came into Manic. And then you dragged John Hardy in, which John Hardy was probably 30 pounds overweight at the time. Yep. Which now he's not chiseled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's yeah. just absolutely like, it's fantastic to watch. But um, what was really cool is that th- there was this group of 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds that were starting to come in and say, I, I need something a little bit different. I need something to try that's sustainable or, or something that's, that's definitely not like the norm. I'm needing to be pushed. I'm needing to feel like an athlete again. And I think that was the big piece that manic provided is that it gave these people the ability to go, Oh, I can be an athlete again. Even though I've, I was an athlete. I'm this dad that has let himself go a little bit. But now I can start doing some athletic movements again and try to revive that, which was fun to watch. Yeah, it, it, that's, exactly, that's exactly what happened probably to both of us. Definitely yeah. happened to me. And in hindsight, yeah. you know, looking back, it definitely happened to John too. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. We're, our kids are the same age. We're doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, so then your kids are starting to get really good at skiing. You've now lost a little bit of weight. And you're starting to realize, oh, I've got more in the tank than I realize. And I think that was, for me, the fun part to watch is you, you continued to take these steps. And it, it was probably the perfect direction. You needed each of these different little moments to kind of push you to that next place. Um, but when did you realize, like, oh, I can actually get back to the point to where I can actually keep up with my kids again. Yeah. So that was, I would say it was, um, what inspired me was my 50th birthday. So at this point, my kid or the oldest Christian, uh, had just started big mountain skiing. There wasn't a lot of big mountain skiing. Then when he was getting into it, there was Crestview Butte extremes. I think, I think that was the only one at the time. So, um, we're talking about, I was going to take him there. It was in February. It was over my birthday, February 17th. And then Christian came to dinner one night and said, Hey dad, there's a master's. <laughs> no way. <laughs> there's a master's event at Crested Beauty. That's right. And it's awesome. And, and it's on your birthday. It's on my 50th birthday. So I'm like, you know, sitting around the dinner table. How far ahead of, ahead of schedule was this? Were you already <laughs> Were you already geared up and ready? I or? was. I was just kind of had you know started the 
the uh, the path to getting back into shape. I wasn't there yet, but I, I I was there enough to at least say at the dinner table, that sounds great. When is that? Oh, that's next month. Sign me up. I'll do it. <laughs> I didn't sleep a wink for the, the, the two nights before that. Just got, I was so nervous. But um, Scott Kennett was in it. And, you know, I don't know if you remember him, but I remember watching Scott Kennett and Warren Miller movies when I was growing up. And, you know, it, there was there were 16 there were 16 um, uh, masters entered into it. Well, the masters starts at 40. I'm like, yeah. oh, so okay, that's that's not masters. That's yeah, like that's junior exactly. masters. Yeah, so yeah. I, <laughs> you know, but uh, I ended up I ended up tenth. It's awesome. Six guys fell. <laughs> which is so i was the that's helpful i was the last of the standing guy guys standing but nonetheless it made me realize that that was really fun and if all three of my guys are going to do this i i gotta continue so that's when i started to really and, and because they were older i had you know i i did have more time we're totally out of the weeds now they're in junior high and high school they're you know, they, they don't need you 24 seven. So I had the time and I learned to have the desire just through living here and then being in the gym and that whole environment, it just clicked for me. And it, that's, uh, and then obviously when it became your, when you started, I'll never forget this or a number of us talking when you were used to guest coach there. We're like, oh man, wouldn't that be great if John Mark was permanent here? Because you and Laura would guest coach every now and then when, because it was owned by the group out of Steamboat, right? And then lo and behold, you guys bought it. And we were like, yes, this is going to be great. Yeah. And it was interesting. You know, I remember the moment of we had a kind of a town hall meeting. It was like, hey, we're, you know, going to be buying all the equipment from Manic, which, I mean, it's hilarious because the amount of equipment that we actually use from Manic now is like very minimal. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like the ropes still sit on the yeah. on the wall, uh -huh. and then the maybe balls some. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know um, we'll pull them out every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But what's what's interesting is, is we we knew we were going to buy the equipment, and we just wanted to let everybody know that was a part of Manic. Like, hey, we're going to be starting a gym, and then here's kind of what it might look like. And we told everybody at that point, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but just trust us. And it was people like you. I mean, I can name, I mean, there's so many people I could name right now right. that, that sure. just said, we trust you guys. And there were plenty of people that were like, yep, yeah, we're out because they really liked. And as we developed and as we continued to kind of push the envelope a little bit and learn more and. I think what was fun to see is there are certain people that you saw them grow in their strength. You saw them grow as part of the community and the community really pulled them in that much more because it was kind of like this bond of like, Oh, we used to be a part of this, but now I'm excited to see what it's going to become. And so you definitely were part of that. And Michelle was definitely a part of that. And, and we so, felt part of it. Yeah. You guys made us feel part of it. Well, you even helped me. <laughs> this is awesome. So um, when we first put in the gym, I'll never forget this. It was um, the internet. There, was, yeah, the, there wasn't the internet. <laughs> no, it wasn't. There wasn't the internet yet. 
Uh, you know, Jay, actually, we're going to have five-year anniversary in April. No way. It's been five years, Jeez. which is crazy. That is, that's crazy. Yeah, it's fu- it's that's funny because I'm that's like crazy. outside looking in from yeah. everything leading up until like five years ago. Right. And so hearing these stories and seeing how this all transpires is pretty Yeah. Which is cool. Which is really fun. What was interesting is when we moved from the manic space and we moved to the new space and we were putting in the turf <laughs> and I kept on screwing up the turf and cutting it wrong and cutting all the, the mats wrong. And then Laura just comes over and goes, please have Jerry do this. I mean, there was people like when we were moving, there were certain people that, that actually literally carried the stuff and put it in a truck and helped us yeah. start our gym. Yeah. And that, that set the tone for... I think it did. I think it set the culture for the yeah. community yeah. aspect that it's we like, have there. Yeah, that it's... it's This is... It's not our gym. It's our people's gym. And we're going to help them develop and we're going to walk them through some of that stuff. And so... And people couldn't wait for it to open. It's like, oh my gosh, if, if we don't help, we're close, like, close for <laughs> yeah. two weeks. What are we going to do? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what do you think, Jerry? Like, uh, over the last five years, what 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 has been... What's the highlights and lowlights? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So the, the highlights are those days when I can lap, you know, top to bottom red square on a powder day without stopping, you know, with my boys, which we do a lot still, even though they're gone. Yeah. Let's what let's, we might, we should probably take a little step back. Yeah. Who, because who are, who your, are your boys? What yeah. do they do now? I mean, Christian is a professional in Boston. So, uh, so, okay. So here's, here's the, here's their, here's their ski story. Here's how this went down. Christian did, he was in Bevo and he was outgrowing Bevo. So Bevo instructor said, you really need to check out ski club. You know, there's something there for him. I don't, you know, I don't know what, but so he went and did a race day, uh, you know, one of those free days and he went with the race, the Alpine team and he came down we're like, well, what'd you think did you like it? he goes no i'm like how come he goes we skied this run all day long we didn't leave this run and he goes and look at this and he and he, and he looks at the mountain and he goes look at the vast mountain that we could be skiing we're like oh crap what are we gonna do now so michelle happened to go to some fundraiser that she was invited to for ski club. And she sat down, happened to sit at a table with Tim Leskow. I don't know if you know that name, you know, Matt Leskow is a local skier. So his father, Tim was at the table and, you know, small talk. And I didn't go to the dinner. Michelle didn't. Tim says, you know, so is your son in ski? Well, no, he doesn't. He did the Alpine. He doesn't crazy about that. We're really struggling with where to, what he should do. And, and Tim Leskow says, yeah, to take him out to Crested Butte and let him do the Crested Butte Extremes. There's a junior program. How old is he? He's 14. He can do the 14-year-old division out there. So Michelle, it was in like two weeks. So Michelle took him out there and he went with a friend and uh, not knowing anything about it. And Michelle got there. She's like, oh my God, what did I just do? What is this? She had no clue. Neither one of us had any idea what it was all about. Sitting at the bottom of staircase he's going to ski that, you know, he's four. So anyway, he came down and he loved it. He loved it. So that's, so then the next year ski club didn't have a big mountain team. So the next year that we're talking about doing it 
and talking to Tim Leskow and a guy named Garrett Scahill, who owns VBC, Vail Brewing Company now, said, um, uh, we need at least six people to create a big mountain team. And we said, well, we have three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have three. And are we sure they can each get a friend? And sure enough, they did. So the big mountain team started and they all did it. And the thing with my boys is whatever Christian did, the other two followed. Christian played soccer. They played soccer. Christian took up lacrosse. They took up lacrosse. They were big mountain skiers. Christian was took a big mountain. They were, they just, we traveled in a pack for yeah, whatever was, reason. That's how it worked. Yeah, it was easy to transport it, all of you at once. It was. So when, it's like, so thank when God, you're we were going in different directions. So when Jack and Kevin win the World Free, School, free Skiing Tour, <laughs> then Christian's going to be like, yeah, that's actually my award. Well, if you ever listen to them, in, in the, you know, they were interviewed on TV8, they were in the Vail Daily, they always mention him. They always say, well, if it weren't for... Our big brother Christian, we wouldn't even be doing this. So um, they, he's they, in Boston. Well, he just and he, yeah, he was in Boston for the past. He went to college there. He wanted something completely different. Born and raised here, went to school in Boston, got a job in Boston, worked there for two or three years, and then he just moved to San Diego. So there's uh, he just moved there January first. Um, with this girl, oh no, he skis a ton. Okay, good. He skis a ton. He he was here over Christmas. Can he, can he keep he up with like, his brothers? He can. What about his dad? Yeah, hardly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when they all three okay. get together. It's it's three in a row. Is it, it really is. Are they yeah. so now? So Jack and Kevin explain what they're on the free free ride world tour. free ride world tour. Yeah, which is they qualified. They qualified the last year free skiing competition right so they had been they had aspirations of doing this the youngest one more than the middle one kevin more than jack but then jack started to see some success that kevin was having and said i can do this too so uh, they'd been on the qualifying tour in north america and how it works is every year uh they take 10 new skiers to the free ride world tour uh 14 continue and they take 10 new ones three from north america three from europe uh two from new zealand and two from japan some, somewhere around there and um or asia area not just japan and kevin and jack made it you know, one finished first, one finished second, North or third in North America last year. So they got, they're, so they're on it. They're on the free ride world tour with Tanner Hall and and on all these famous skiers that they've been following since they were, you know, Matt Durchy and all these so guys that have been skiing. So Jerry's got two kids that are legit like pro skiers. They are. They're they're in Andorra right now, getting ready for and a comp on Friday. From, they were just in Kicking Horse, and prior Jerry to that, Michelle, they were in Japan. We're in Japan. That. Yeah, we went to Japan to to watch them there. A, we had never skied Japan. We'd been to Japan, but never never skied. So what a great way to experience Japan. And then Kicking Horse is just great. And and you know we Christian came up there and, and joined us as well. So the whole family was together for that. And then we all went heli skiing after that. So that was kind of fun. And now they're off to Andorra. 
So how fun is it to watch your kids do something like this? I mean, at their age, you never probably never thought never thought they competed this level. And people say you you know people people have said to me over and over again, you must be so proud. You must be so proud. It's like it's not. I'm not proud. It's not proud's not the right word. I'm I'm super happy for them. You know, there's there's a difference. You know what I mean? Like I'm happy that those two set their mind to do something, figured out how to do it, and accomplished it. And no, no matter what happens this year, they will, you know, no one can take this away from them. And the fact that they're doing it together, yes, it's unreal. As a parent, that makes me happy. I'm like, really happy for them. Yeah, do they like each other more or less now? Is it like a, a competitive thing? Or is no, it just- they're fortunate. You know, Michelle and I are pretty lucky in that they're all really good friends. They all share a tattoo called, they have a tattoo, the exact same tattoo over the same place over their heart. And it says 15 cents, one five with the cent sign. So it's because it's three nickels. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's how close that's they are. That's better than I thought they're it was going to be. That's nice. cool. <laughs> three there's, nickels. There's, they are. Jerry Nichols. Jerry Nichols. <laughs> and that's a last name. <laughs> They're super tight. And, and so as a parent, that's what we're happy about, you know, that they get to do this themselves. And for them, it's a little surreal. And those are the, those, that's the adjective they were both using in Japan. They're like, they're walking around. They're like, they can't believe that, you know, they show up and they're, people take care of them and they have to Is go there, sign autographs and so I know get their picture I, taken. I should probably and, ask Michelle this question, but she's not here right now, but. Are there points to where you're like terrified? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, Cause I've, you go I mean, and you I've look skied at with Kevin. When I say skied with Kevin, I saw Kevin ski on the same run as me and I could see him far away. <laughs> <laughs> and he's throwing double back flips. Like it's, it's just part of what he does. It's the, the, some of the terrain that they have to, they have to ski that they like to ski is, it's, it's, it's gnarly. It's, you know, and then you watch some people fall and it's like, whoa, you know, so, you know, and knock on wood, none of our guys have really, I mean, they're, you know, when you compare it to other disciplines in skiing, I think it's way safer than alpine skiing especially downhill and super g even gs i mean they're going 40 miles an hour and you lose a ski or you you, you go back, get back seat a little bit it you can do some damage there's surprising surprisingly very few injuries in this discipline and i think one of the reasons is because it's steep you I'm tumble not- how much do you you're think you're not impacting? You know, you're not knuckling. How much the, do you think jump. helped them that they played soccer and lacrosse? I think I always thought so. I coached high school lacrosse for right. um, uh, what 15 years, and um, y- you see those kids who specialize in sports, and I I've always thought that was a mistake, and and I we encourage our kids to play everything, and they did. We used to joke that, you know, people would say, what what sports are your kids playing? Everything. Growing up. Not now, but growing up. People said, what's your favorite sport? I said, the next one. 
Whatever was, <laughs> excuse me, whatever was next was their favorite sport. Right. It's like, oh, soccer season. I love soccer. Oh, ski yeah. season. I love skiing. There's yeah. something to that refresher. <laughs> well, and there's it, definitely. Like, because I, mean, I felt the same way growing up. It's like sure. I, I just towards the end of the season, it was like time to move on, on to, to the, the next, next one. thing, and, th- and then you keep it exciting. Yeah, you keep it interesting. And there's plenty of research showing that the actual athletes that specialize too early and don't play any other sports, and that's all they do, and they play club, then they play school, then they play club, then they play school, and they never take any time off from that specific sport. They they burn out. They get or injury. they start getting injuries mm-hmm. like really quickly, and and so what's interesting is like if there's a book that anybody should read, it's called a book called Range. Really? Um, it's called it's called Range by David Epstein, and it actually we'll take a break. <coughs> Are we taking a break? Yeah, take a no, break. Keep keep ta- you're talking about David <laughs> Epstein. I actually just saw him speak, which was kind of cool. When? Uh, at the last conference that Townsend and I shot, Seriously? he talked about that book. Yeah, it was cool. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the conference? Refreshing a drink? Uh, sure. It was a MCAA conference, but they were talking about diversifying and making sure that you don't specialize and you should teach your employees to think outside the box and try new things and give it a whirl. That's awesome. Yeah. Did he tell the story about Federer and yeah and Tiger Woods? So and, and a lot of it goes back to so when why is it Mal, Malcolm Gladwell? Yep, came up with the ten thousand yep. hours, ten thousand hours, yep. theory. Um, oh, what is that? That, that may, I mean, I think I've heard that. You're ten thousand hours, pretty much. You have to be good at anything. Oh, you have to, right. yeah. You have to spend ten thousand hours at that specific thing to be good at it. Yeah, right. um, I've heard that, and so. Within that, um, David Epstein kind of talked about how, yes, that was true for the things that Malcolm Gladwell had looked at, which was like chess and... Um, Super skilled sports. Well, no, like it's, anything- it's anything like repetitive. You can learn certain moves and then those moves directly correlate to another series of moves. So you can basically memorize things, but... When you get outside of that, you then become um, more adept to making small changes that aren't predictable. So gauging what's going on in the moment, and then if there's something that you have to adapt to, yeah, well, which is which is most of life. Right. There is no sought out or set pattern yeah, that we know sports. of. Um, yeah, someone can fake or not fake, and and there's wind and all these factors that go in that whether environmental or um, internal, whatever it is. But the more you practice outside of those set plays, the better it crosses over later. So you, you want to switch it up and, and, and he supposedly what he said was he finally got Malcolm Gladwell to agree admit yeah. that so they've he was had right debates, and he yeah. was like no they've actually i've yeah. listened to the debates it's fantastic which, which was a cool story um to kind of see play out but it, it goes it goes back to that like all of those skills that you practice in soccer or baseball or i mean whatever weird sport you can pick up or activity they eventually transfer to whatever it is you find appealing 
Well, Jerry's a perfect example. Jerry has had multiple different experiences in his business career. And now he's retired and he's a mixologist. (laughs) Yeah, he's found a new career. It's quite delicious. But I will tell you that I don't think he would be as good of a mixologist. I just if hope he gave he me my, my glass and not your I glass. I did. I was really careful with <laughs> could, that. Yeah, I was yeah, really could, careful. You can see the fingerprints. Mm-hmm. John Mark Because I sick. think he would have had the experiences. I don't think he would have been able to make as good of an old fashioned in his 40s. No. And I don't think I even had one then. <laughs> it's working too hard. Right. Okay, so let's let's get okay. We're, we're back okay, to so the action. The boys, so them doing different sports, um, growing up. Yeah, I think that I. I mean, I just believed in that from day one. I, I just think you know, anyone thinking that their son or daughter um is going to grow up and be the next olympian or the next this or that and i think that's the biggest mistake parents can make it's just just there's another you talk about you read a lot of books i read a lot of coaching books there's one that's called just let the kids play just let them play do everything because well that goes to the federer and and that whole book is his parents tried to steer him in a direction and then he was like kicking the kicking the tennis ball yeah. and like well basically everybody wanted to play every other sport except. that you yeah and then well, finally later on found tennis and was like yeah this is it because everybody knows the everybody knows the tiger Woods story no one knows the federer story right right and so it actually influenced sports across the nation across the world yeah to where everybody and no one really realized it because they assumed oh well, it's got to be like Tiger Woods. When he was two years old, he's already playing 18 holes. Two yeah, years old. Yeah, on the Johnny Carson show, swinging yeah, a golf club. Exactly. And so then everybody, that sensationalizes everything. So then everybody thinks, well, I got to start my kid when he's two. And he's got to play when he's, you know, when he's six, he's got to do this. And in reality, there's the, the actual athletes that make it are not like Tiger Woods. Right. They're actually more like Federer. It's outliers. Right. Yeah. You can be tricked by the outliers. The outliers will mess you up. I mean, they'll mess you up because you think whatever they did is the way to do it. And that's, I will say that happens in the gym all the time. It happens in athletics in general is everybody sees somebody post something on Instagram. They see somebody doing this programming and they see them doing this and they're like, oh, well, I need to do that. Oh, uh, Michaela Schifrin's doing this, but when she on her Instagram and she's doing this during her workouts, I should probably start doing that. No, Michaela Schifrin was actually an absolute, she's just an outlier. She is different than everybody else. Her flipping weights while balancing on something is not the reason why she's a really good skier. Like that's not the reason. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. The reason she's a really good skier is because she spent a lot of time skiing and she's incredibly athletic. She has some genetics that play along with that. I mean, there's a lot of things that play into that. And so everybody thinks, well, this person did this. I need to start doing that. And that's not always the case. So, um, so Jerry, the boys 
obviously have exceeded your expectations as far as just their. I think they've exceeded their expectations. We didn't yeah. have any. Yeah. Our expectations for our family skiing was no different than golf. Those were two sports that we felt we could gift our kids that they would have for the rest of their lives. Because there's not a lot of sports. There, I mean, there's a handful of them, but those are two of them that you start young, it's easy to do. You can do them for the rest of your lives. And you could, that's the beauty of skiing and golf. Yeah. But you can do it when you're 70 and 80, yeah. and you can do it with your six-year-old. I mean, I, my, yeah. it's awesome being able to ski with my daughter who just turned six and my almost 70 year old, you know, grandfather. Right. Like, yeah, but her so one caveat to that conversation is kind of how I see Jerry now that I know he's 61, but, and he's still staying in this zone of, if I want to do these things, I need to make sure I'm staying fit and, and doing all the things on the side that keep you um, physically fit enough to, to continue to do those things. Without I'm a sure, doubt. I'm That's sure. huge motivation for me right now is I'm, yeah, I'm 61 and I know there's a lot, there's still a lot for me to do and I, that I want to do. And I don't want to do it with just, you know, me and my six-year-old friends. I want to do it with my kids, hope maybe someday grandkids. There's so much time for that. That's huge motivation right now. And, and one thing I, you know, um, I mean, there's so many things I like about our gym. So many things, it, you know, the community aspect, the people, the, 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 the guys, the, the, the ladies that we work out with, your instruction. There's, there's so, but, um, you know, one of the things is you all pay attention. You're not all, you guys aren't just focusing on what the super athletes, the, you know, the elite athletes who are coming to this gym need. You do help them, but you also are so in tune with what Michelle and I need at our age. You know, whether it's grip and farmer carries or just weights. And, and you know, you're, in, you're so, you know, we feel fortunate that we, we feel like we're getting that attention and, and that direction from you because you have a 70-year-old father-in-law who's still active and wants to ski and you know that just that that's motivating to us and i think that's the that's the piece that where we really started to transition so we we went from let's just make hard workouts to let's make strength the basis and we're going to do all this other stuff too we're going to make you we're going to make you work really hard there's going to be a point to where you're going to really struggle and you're almost going to feel like you're going to throw up on certain days. But let's make strength the basis because I don't care who you are. If you're a pro athlete or you're a 70-year-old, you still need strength. You need that base of strength. And if you don't have that, all this other stuff is just wasted time. Yeah. And I, I never imagined that a 62-year-old you 62? One. 61? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Cut the guy 61 some slack here. Would squat 315 pounds. I never thought I would either. I, I mean, mean I never and the barbell that. 
didn't ever seem like probably in your world eight years ago, you probably never thought you'd squat with a barbell. It seems so foreign. I'd never. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's some people in the gym that grew up or you know, maybe not grew up, but like their younger years, high school and college doing proper weight training and weight. I, Never, first barbell I probably ever lifted was in GOAT. It wasn't even in Manic because we didn't have barbells. Has that changed your skiing or any other um, physical activity you do? Definitely. Um, A, it enabled Michelle and I to get into mountain biking. We never mountain biked before. Now we mountain bike and we go on weekends and it's it's so much fun because, you know, we can both do it. And it's and something totally new that you never would have thought that never you would have done. We never used to do. Right? And is I mean, that because we, of the community or, or because you were in shape or how'd you get well, into mountain biking? Just, uh, we, you know, we heard people talking about it and we've said, we can do this. And we did it. We went out and bought mountain bikes and not that long ago, my mountain bike, my is, you know, I have a trek. It's two, two, three, maybe three years old. Michelle just got, yes, you know, sure. the, Daddy Yeti, Yeti Betty from uh, from Julie last year, but we've been to Moab, we've done Monarch Crest, we've done uh, Gonafruta. We 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 feel we have confidence that we can do this now. And I think that's the beauty of the gym is that we ask you to do things that you you know we continually say we want you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, and it allows you you start to realize oh I can do things that I didn't realize I could do before. I'm going to challenge you to the point to where you're like, oh, I just had a new discovery. Like, I can, I didn't realize I could do that. Maybe I could do something else that's outside the gym that's totally unrelated to a barbell, but now I can mountain bike because I have a new understanding of what my body's capable of. And, you know, I can't tell you, a couple of times Michelle has said, we've been on some really like a Monarch Crest ride. Yeah. You're three quarters of the way through. You're still going up. You're thinking you should be going down by now because if you look at the chart <laughs> on the MTB project, it looks like it's all down. But you're still going up. And she said, you know, the one at the, you know, after the ride, she said she attributes her ability to get through that to... Uh, to goat and you know in goat sometimes it's so hard that you just have to you know put your head down and somehow mentally get through it and it's more of a mental thing than a physical thing but that's the that's you know that's what we got or she we both get it out of it but she definitely gets got out of goat the ability to power through those tough times and just finish it do you think you um because you're definitely somebody that's okay with hard efforts. Did that develop over time? Or is that just kind of inside of who you are personally? Well, if it is inside of who I am, I never realized it until yeah. I was in the gym. Yeah. And then I think it transcends to outside. Then I wasn't afraid because I never really, I don't ever remember pushing myself, you know, like that yeah. ever. Or, you know, enjoying it. And it's enjoyable to push yourself that hard. And then it's really enjoyable when you're done to have the satisfaction that you did it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely like this, this sense of accomplishment. And we, there are, there's times to go really hard and there's times to not really go that hard. 
Right. And we definitely try to teach that as much as possible in the gym. But when we're ready to go hard, you better pull your big boy pants on. Right. Like, and there are those special events. Like yeah. I'll never forget the Murphy. <laughs> that was like, I walked in, I was like, what? We got to do a hundred pull-ups. Yeah. <laughs> like, which is not, there's no yeah. way, you know, and then 200 push, 300. And we're running also, yeah. but then you get through it. Yeah. You, you, you know, which we don't, in reality, we don't do that. Asterix. Yeah, we don't we don't do that very often anymore. <laughs> no, but once in a while. But, but every once in a while, we will ask people if they're capable to do things like that. Which Jerry, again, it might be just one of those outliers. He didn't realize Jerry and, might be an outlier. Yeah, he might be an outlier. <laughs> he might be screwing everybody else up. <laughs> yeah. What's funny about Jerry is that he he could have. When we talk about your boys. I mean, obviously genetics are a big piece of that. And, you know, watching Jerry, I... I want to see Jerry ski now. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Can it's we go to the comp? It's not that exciting. So let's, talk, let's talk about that, though. Your boys, obviously, do they understand? I mean, you don't have to brag about yourself, but, I mean, do they understand that you're 61 and you're able to ski at a really high level, at least ski with them? On the same chairlift. <laughs> no, they appreciate it. Yeah. They to they appreciate their mother and father, you know, not sitting in the lodge waiting for them. Yeah. They, uh, they definitely appreciate, acknowledge, and, and they'll help. They totally will help us. I call Jack my forecatting more often than not because sometimes we'll be, <laughs> we'll get into stuff and I'll be like, okay, you know, Christian and Jack will be like, go, go, let's go, let's do, you know. And Jack gets me and he'll say, I, I got you, dad. Yeah. And so he'll go a little bit ahead and he'll go, no, dad, go that way. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't want to go off this 40 footer here. Like, so you yeah, go that dad. way. I call him my four caddy. And, awesome. uh, but to know that I can generally ski with them yeah. the, and Michelle can too, they totally, um, they appreciate that a lot. Which is and huge. I think it'll, you know, that'll help them when they're older. Yeah. To know yeah, that they they're can just do like, that. I got the genetics. I can keep skiing until yeah. I'm 60. Yeah, yeah. exactly. At, yeah. Least. At least. At least. <laughs> At least. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to thank you again, Jerry, and we'll kind of wrap this up. But I, I think, um, there has, there's not been many people in our gym that have continued to say, yeah, what else you got for me, John Mark? <laughs> and taken it on, accepted it, but also started to realize when to go hard and when not to go hard because we're, we're into the long game, not just, hey, let me... And I think that was the hard part for most people when we started our gym. We... Because we were so well known for really hard workouts mm -hmm. that it took a while for people to buy into the idea that not every single workout had to be crushing. It's an evolution. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that you well, like, and yeah, it's sustainable. Yeah. It is sustainable. Yeah. And, and that's, that probably means the most to me at this point is I want something that I can sustain yeah. and continue doing all the things I want to do outside of the gym. Yeah. I mean, the amount, and you've actually allowed other people that are 
in this in their 60s and 70s to show up in our gym, which is unbelievable. I mean, I can name 15 people that huh. are over 60 now. That's awesome. Which is which is pretty unbelievable because most people think that our gym is like, you know, like this elite right, you know, gym that nobody else could come to unless you're just super fit. And it's like, no. Jerry's not a good example once again. <laughs> right. Jerry <laughs> okay. is an outlier, but Jerry has actually opened the door for a lot of people to say, I can do this. Like I, I, I don't have to be some 20 year old or some 30 year old that just, you know, is, is doing this, this, and this. I can be a 61 year old and do this, this, and this. <laughs> I also think that's the culture of the gym though. Yeah. You know, as the, 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 the group thing I enjoy cause it's competitive, but competitive is not even the right word because we're not like competing with each other. We're just pushing each other. Yeah, it's and encouraging. That's a, it's in, yeah. it, right. It's more encouragement than anything else. Yeah. And I think it's like this point and we've, we've, Robbie and I have experienced this in just in our, you know, competitive world. Like it's almost like you look across from the room or you look across from the boat in our world and it's yeah. like, well, he keeps going. I guess I'll keep going. It's not like I'm sitting there going, dang it. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to beat you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to beat, beat this you. guy. It's, it's like, no, yeah. they're inspiring I'm and I'm going to yeah. keep on going because he's, a, if he a, can keep on making it, I think I can do it too. That's a great analogy. And that's a good way to think of it. And I think um, you and Michelle definitely continue to allow us to, to create an environment that is welcoming, loving, but also like help people understand that you're going to work hard, but you're going to make it through it and you're going to be okay, which is awesome. So...